You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Michigan. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. So we're in part three of our identity renewal service where we're talking about our identity and kind of how it is that God looks at us, some of the misconceptions that we take in our own perspective. So that's what we're going to be talking about. But before we get into that, we've got a video of a guy named Brian Petty. Brian's a longtime attender of Kensington, and he's going to share with us some of the struggles that he had with his identity based on what culture outside of the world has kind of told him. So we're going to lean into that video first. After that, we're going to have one more song, and then we'll press into the message. So let's go ahead, turn, and watch this together now before we get into the rest of the day. So my whole entire life, I've really just struggled with who I was as a person. I mean, Instantly when I was born, I was given my father's name. So I'm the second and I knew who I was because I was my father's child. But internally, I always felt like something was missing inside of me. Um, I grew up in Detroit, Michigan, which is predominantly black, but yet I don't look black even though I am black. So my father's black and my mom is Korean. They met in the military. We had soul food for Thanksgiving, but also Korean food for Thanksgiving. And it was a good blend between the two. But yet, for some reason, I always felt like an outsider, feeling, feeling othered. And growing up in Detroit didn't really help a lot more because we had white America, which is the majority American culture. So I grew up in these three different cultures almost, not knowing how to fit in, how to integrate them, how to really put myself into it. And yet, I just decided to assimilate and join American culture, which is the majority culture. For my entire life, it was only me and my sisters that I really knew who were identifying as two or more. I felt so alone. We all felt alone. We never talked about it because we didn't have the language for it. We didn't know how to communicate the pain that we felt or the, the loneliness or the otherness that we felt. And it wasn't until March 2022 when Becky Lee, the Move Out director, she invited me to join a cohort um, with a workshop class called Living Undivided. And it was through Living Undivided that I realized I was living divided within myself. I was invited to go to California on this Asian-American civil rights culture trip, and it was through that trip that I finally learned Asian-American history, something that I identified every single day. I would tell people, yeah, I'm Asian and black, Asian and black, but yet I didn't really even know my own history here in America. And so I found myself on my knees in my bedroom one day, just crying, torn, not knowing how to fully identify, not knowing where I lean? Did I lean on the black side? Did I lean on the Asian side? How do I support my black brothers and sisters yet not having the skin tone saying I am black, but yet carrying the DNA that I am black? And then my Asian brothers and sisters not knowing the language was just so huge for the Asian community and yet feeling like an imposter because I don't speak the language. And so I just found myself so torn and I just prayed and prayed and said, Lord, who do you call me to be? I don't believe that you make mistakes, but yet I feel like something's wrong with me. The most recent thing that he has spoken to me was to start a nonprofit called Two or More. Being two or more simply means having two or more racial ethnic identities. And that is the box I choose every single time that I fill out whatever it is that I have to check a box for racial category, I check the box two or more. And so now I'm in a place where I feel like the Lord is finally using my pain for his glory and for his platform for me to gather his people together to really just bring us together so we can love each other, love ourselves, and then bring his sons and daughters closer together. I'm lost in this place At peace on my way Your smile 
thinking about what Brian said, a lot of things about what he said in his video. That thing that really just stands out to me is he talks about this imposter syndrome, right? Because I think on some level, all of us have a little bit of that. For Brian, it's just he wasn't quite sure which of these two very distinct, different cultures that he should identify with. I'm sure the pressure of both sides of him saying, like, identify this way, pull this way, right? Bend more to us. And see, the thing that I, 
The thing that I think gets missed in that is that's kind of what we do. We have this imposter syndrome. We think we need to pull one way or the other or identify a certain way, and it's based on what culture says to us, what others say about us, all the thoughts that we have inside of our heads. But all the while, I think God's looking down at Brian, and he's going, hold up. Do you know how I made you? Do you know how I made you? Like, he's looking at Brian in both sides, and he's saying, no. There is a beautiful, unique, wonderful craftsmanship to him that exists in every single one of us as well. And all the while, because of whatever reason, Brian is struggling. He's struggling to find the correct way that he should bend, the correct way he should identify, be it placed on him on his own or outside circumstances. And I just don't necessarily believe that that's how God wants us to act. Because I don't know what your thing is, but I know what mine is. My thing is, in a way, is I like to be in control. You see, I think a lot of us struggle with this idea of control and wanting to have it. And in holding on to that, there's a lot of things that we miss, which is why that song that we just sang, I love. Like, it's the first time I heard it, I was like, this doesn't make a lot of sense to me. The words and grace and maze and wonderful. And that's because my identity is one that I want to be in control. I don't like it when I'm not in control. I don't like it when I can't necessarily think exactly what I say or get prepared or have my hands so deep in everything that it protects me from looking like a fool. But maybe that's not how we're supposed to live. Maybe there's this thing where God has extended grace to us in such a way and we're involved in this wonderful, miraculous, crazy, messy kind of maze. And all the while in it, if we just focus on what he says about us, some of the other stuff will bleed away or blend out and we can just live in the reality that he has gifted, crafted, and built every single one of us too. Read an article what the author of that song wrote and he talks about what what he was thinking when it was written. He says this, he says, I love the idea of being lost, but being lost is it's a good thing. That's the whole idea of this record and that song. You're enchanted in this world with God where you don't know what's next, it's mysterious, it's magical, but it's also beautiful and you're not worried about it because you've let go of control. Man, that like punched me in the face. It punched me in the face because I care about what people think. I care about what you think about my physical appearance. I care about what you think about what I'm going to say. And all of these different elements, since I'm thinking of Brian's story and thinking about him, like what people said of him. And for me, what is it that I want everybody to think of me? I think God's up there going, no, Adam. Like, don't you know I made you, I gifted you, I used you. And the same thing that's applicable for me is applicable for all of us. Man, he's crafted us in such a way where we let go. We relinquish control to him. There's this wonderful, beautiful, maze, lost mess that he wants us to walk into. And when we walk into it, we won't be scared. We're not going to be incredibly down because he's going to be holding our hand through it. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not going to say it's not going to present without its challenges. But maybe there's a different way that he wants us to walk. And the only focal point that we should start with is our identity is in him. That's kind of what we've been moving through in this series. If you were here for week one, I talked about what our identity is in God. And in the first chapter of Ephesians, Paul lays out these wonderful ideas that God has chosen us, that he's adopted us. And when we make the decision to commit to follow Jesus, there is this thing that he wants us to walk into and how wonderful it is. And Sam was here last week, and man, Sam had such a great one-liner that I want to reiterate. See, 
in this idea of struggling with our identity and who we are, there's all of these messages that go on in our head. I think the enemy talks to us. I think we do a really bad job of our self-talk and communicating to ourselves, and we tear ourselves down. And Sam iterated that we need to have a bouncer for our mind. You see, the same way a bouncer keeps out somebody from a bar or a club who's not supposed to be there, we need a bouncer for our mind in a spiritual context for all of these wrong thoughts and these wrong ideas that get pressed in there to kick them out because they tear down what God is trying to build up in us. And the reason he wants to do that, the reason he wants us to understand our identity in him, to bounce these ideas from the mind with the war in our heads is because there is something, a power he wants to give us to walk into an experience in this life that is unlike anything I think that we can imagine or understand. That's what we're gonna talk about today. That's what we're gonna press into this morning as we end in the final chapters of Ephesians that Paul wrote to that church. But before we do that, I wanna take a moment and pray and then receive this morning's offering. So I'm gonna pray. The ushers are gonna come down and we're gonna do that. Would you all just pray with me? Lord, I believe there is something in here that you want to let us know and understand in a deeper way than when we came in. Because when we do, there is something you want to unleash us into. My hope and prayer is what you say about us and our identity would ring true this morning in a new way. Thank you for your words. Thank you for your teachings. I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our ushers are going to pass these magic sacks. That's what Sam called them last week. I really like that. The little, you know, something pop out of it. Um, let me say, hey, if you're a guest, we want you to feel totally okay to take that thing and just pass it right on by. We don't want you to feel any obligation like you have to give. We know some of you will, so we want to thank you in advance. But in that vein, I want to thank all of you that are on mission with us. Because of how you serve and your gifts, we are able to press in in so many ways that we wouldn't otherwise be able to do. And I want to focus a little bit on that idea of groups and care. Like life is hard, finding your identity is hard, and when you're doing it alone, it is incredibly more difficult, but we have spaces and buildings, we have people who are trained to walk with us in certain care instances in our life, or just other group dynamics, so that each and every one of us can kind of be in a room with other people to build into us in such a way and be reminded of what it is that we're going to talk about today. And none of that happens without those of you who are on mission, who give, and who serve. So thank you for your generosity, because none of this is possible without any of you. And I'm so thankful for what it is that you do. All right, so back to our identity. See, what we think, I want to say this first, what we think about God is going to directly shape our identity in him. If you think God is gracious and if he's merciful and he loves you, that's going to change the way that you approach him. But the same is also true if you think the opposite. If you think that God is harsh, he's angry, and he's judgmental, it is going to taint the way that we approach him. And the reality in life is we have an enemy who very much wants to taint the correct perception of who God is. Because if he can do that, our identity is going to get missed characterized, it's going to get changed, and the way that God sees us isn't going to be correct in our eyes. As long as I'm here, you're going to frequently hear me refer to John 10.10. John was one of the men, the 12 disciples with Jesus, and this is what he writes about our enemy. He says, he is a thief. His purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy. And listen to me. Satan is gifted at doing these things. 
A lot of us believe we can see him and understand very clearly that he's not that effective, but the reality is that Satan has existed far longer than any of us. And if he can get inside of our heads, if he can get us to misbelieve what God actually says about us, what Jesus came to do, our identity can get transformed into something it's not supposed to be, which is going to affect how we view our life. Like he is hard at work trying to take these words that men like Paul and Jesus and others that followed him and shift them in our thinking. Because if he does that, we're not going to think God views us in the way that he does. And if that happens, we won't imitate him the way that Paul calls us to do in his letter to the Ephesians. That's what we're going to start out talking about. In Ephesians chapter 5, the very first verse, Paul calls us to do this thing of imitating. This is what he says. He says, imitate God, therefore, in everything that you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself up as a sacrifice for us, as a pleasing aroma. So Paul opens up his letter by saying that we should be people who follow God's example, right? Like, it's pretty straightforward. What he's saying is, imitate me. God wants us to imitate him, and we would think that should be pretty not challenging, but it is, and there's many reasons why that is so. First, because we get our identity backwards. We think that God is harsh, that he's judgmental, that he's not for us and on our side in the way that we think he should be, and in doing that, it automatically shifts our thinking not to go into the details of how hard it can be to follow him in such a way. And the other thing we do is we, man, y'all, and I'm speaking for me, sometimes we let what other people say have far too great an influence in our lives. The words that they say, the things that they speak over us, then become something that we will take in our own mind and start to drill into our heads. There is a war waged inside of your mind, and it's going to be specifically against what Satan wants to speak about you in comparison to what God says. Because Satan knows if he can manipulate, he can lie, then he can destroy. He also knows that in each and every one of you, there is this unique, wonderful thing that God's created you in such a way to live out with purpose in this life that if he can manipulate what your identity is, you won't be able to walk into. So he is hard at work trying to do this thing, trying to get it outside of our mind and our focal point. George F. Ellis says this about this idea. It says, God's nature is revealed most perfectly in the life and teachings of Jesus as Nazareth, as recorded in the New Testament of the Bible, who was sent by God to reveal the divine nature summarized simply in this, God is love. Listen, if you ever get to the point where you're not quite sure what God thinks about you, I would encourage and even challenge you to go to what the Bible refers to as the Gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the first four books of the New Testament. And each of those men who were with Jesus or with friends of Jesus wrote about what it is that Jesus said, what he did, and how he acted. Look at his interactions with people that are the lowly of the day, the quote-unquote worst and the sinners. And you will see the way that he views every single one of us. And it's such a good way to reset what our thinking is specifically about what God says about us. Because in that, Jesus is telling us, there's something I want you to imitate, right? To be like me. And this wasn't a one-time issue for Paul. There's another moment where he's writing to another church, another group of people. It's in a city called Colossae. And he takes on this subject of saying what it is that we should be trying to be imitating. Specifically, the adjectives that Jesus did and described. This is what he says. Colossians chapter 3. 
He says, since God has chose you to be a holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all else, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts, for as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. So listen, he starts out by saying, since God chose you, remember, that's what we talk about in week one, that you're a chosen people. And then he leans into make allowance for other people's faults. It's incredibly interesting in some way that this is the first thing he says. Listen, you, I, none of us are going to get it right every single time. We're actually going to live in such a way that we're not getting right. But in that, he says, there's a way that I want you to act, and it's this. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are the characteristics that Paul is talking about that we should imitate. And the only way that you are able to imitate these is if our identity is set in truth. It's set in the truth of what Paul wrote in Ephesians 1, in Ephesians 2, of what it is that God actually thinks and says about us. You see, followers of Jesus need to be concerned because we'll never get there just by happenstance hoping that it happens. It's going to take some work. It's going to take some mindful thoughtfulness. And the real thing it's going to take is pursuing relationship with Jesus. Listen to me. I love the fact that you come here on a Sunday. And if you come once a month, twice a month, or even every week, if the only time during your calendar week that you get with Jesus is here, you are going to miss something that God wants for you. You can still be a Christian. You can still be a follower of Jesus. You still get heaven. God is still with you. But if this is the only time you are building in that relationship, you'll never be able to walk in the full power that God has for you because the development of the relationship only goes so far. And what he is saying, Paul is saying, is to imitate me in these ways, in the fullness that Jesus wants us to do. There's a little bit more that we have to press into. You see, as followers of Jesus, we should think about the way that we look, but not just physically. We should think about the way that we look on the inside. One of the followers of Jesus, a doctor whose name was Luke, who wrote two books of the Bible, says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, he says, what's inside of us? He says, out of the abundance of our heart, comes our words. And what he's saying is the way you live, the way you operate is going to be inside of you. And when you interact with people, that's going to come out. So to be people who imitate God in kindness, in gentleness, in patience, in all of those adjectives, we have to be taking in some of this other stuff that will allow us to walk in this calling that Jesus and that Paul is saying God wants us to follow and that he wants us to do. Paul uses the term clothe yourself. Listen, how many people in here, and, and I'm going to ask you to be a little bold in putting your hand up, don't think at all about what you wear in the morning. Okay, listen, I know a couple of you are putting your hands up, but I'm telling you, if I came to your house and I said, wear this, you'd be like, uh-uh, Adam. <laughs> right? And some level, all of us consider what it is that we clothe ourselves with, whether that's even considering that it's snowing out now or in the summer, it's going to be 80 and we're going to wear something different. That's what Paul's saying. He says, you think about what you put on, but these adjectives that describe the way that we want to operate and live, we need to consider 
how to live in such a way that these are the things that would describe us. See, you will never be compassionate unless you consider how it is that I should be compassionate. Unless you pursue Jesus in a relationship, there's never a way we can come to the place where that is a truth, that is a definitive adjective that is described about us. And that is what Paul is saying that we need to consider. We jump back into Ephesians. If you were to go through verses three through seven, Paul would talk about, actually he specifically lists some of the, I think, sins that that church is struggling with. He lays them out and he says, hey y'all, this is the way that you're not imitating me. Not to be judgmental on them, not to be harsh, but to have a really accurate understanding for those people of what it is that they're walking in. That they're not imitating God when they're producing these kinds of behaviors. That they're not following him in the manner that he lays forth. And he says, this is something that we need to consider. Because a lot of people, Paul specifically says, will say that my sin's not that big a deal. And listen to me, God loves us, he pushes our sin behind, but our sin is a big deal. Our sin was such a big deal that God himself, Jesus, had to come to earth and die on a cross so that we could have forgiveness on it. And one of the things the devil will try to lie and manipulate us into is thinking that our sin is not such a big deal. So don't be fooled by that. And when we begin to understand these ideas, something in us changes. Paul talks about it in verse 8 and 9. He says this, For once you were full of darkness, but now you have the light of the Lord. So live as people of light, for this light within you produces only what is good, what is right, and what I was true. See, Paul's saying there's a power God wants you to walk into, but in order to receive this power, we have to pursue Jesus. We have to pursue relationship with him because when we do, it's like we're tapped into the resource. Listen, you committed to following Jesus. You could come to church once a month. I'm not bashing. You could spend no time, but there is something God wants to release into you that unless you are connected to him as the source, you will not have the ability to walk in because we haven't been tapped into the power that he wants us to have. You see, I really believe the reality of how much power we live with is mostly up to us. Like, yes, God is the initiator. Yes, he drives it. But how much we pursue relationship with him, and we have to be careful because this can get legalistic, and we do it out of obligation and duty rather than pursuing relationship. But he's got so much more that he wants us to walk into. But we grow in strength as we spend more time with him, learning from him. The other reason spending time with him is important is, begin. we have an enemy who knows the power that you have. Like, listen, one of the things of Satan is he has existed forever. He's seen God's disciples. He's seen Jesus. He's seen every other human who has walked inside of this power. And he knows those individuals are dangerous to what it is that he wants to accomplish. So he is going to do everything he can, whether that's wage war on your mind, speak to your identity, anything it is to get you to remove yourself from this relationship dynamic. Because when we remove ourselves, we are not tapped into the power that God has given us. And not only does he want to give us this, but he wants to equip us to go on the journey. Not only has God invited us to imitate the life of Jesus, but he's equipped us to follow him as well. Paul talks about this in part of his letter to the Ephesians. He says this, a final word. One of the last things I want to tell you. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. 
Put on all of the armor, put on all of God's armor so you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Look, the first thing you need to understand from this text is God is not just calling you to follow, He is calling you to fight. He's calling you to get involved in this spiritual warfare that is going on. But the reality is for a lot of us, one of two things can tend to happen. We ascribe too much weight to this reality that we exist in or none at all. C.S. Lewis says it like this in one of his writings. When it comes to the demonic, people usually fall into one of two errors. Either they take him altogether too seriously or they don't take him seriously enough at all. (laughs) Sorry, just giggly to me. I have run into people who think every time they're late, every time their cell phone battery is not charged, and every time they are sick, that Satan is getting after them. And I'm not saying some of those isn't true, but the simple reality is this. In a lot of those instances, if they plugged their cell phone in the night before, if they left 10 minutes early, and they ate something green or healthy once in a while, some of those realities would not exist. But there are other people who would say, none of this is true. And both dynamics are incredibly dangerous in what it is that God wants you to do. Because we don't recognize the reality of what is happening around us. You see, there are times where a very real thing is happening, even if we don't see it. In the 1800s, there was this uh, doctor. His name was Paul something Simmelweist. I can't remember his name, and I don't want to go back to my notes. But he was a physician who actually did a lot of labor and delivery. And in that time, the mortality rate for babies being born was atrocious. A lot of babies were dying. And he had a theory that when doctors would go to patients, that because they were not washing their hands, they would take the ailment of one patient to another, and that would cause the babies to die. But other scientists and doctors thought he was nuts because something was going on that they couldn't see. So what he did to prove his hypothesis is he had his interns start washing their hands thoroughly between every patient visit. And what happened is his patients that were taken care of by his interns started to have a much higher success rate in the babies being born and healthy. But the sad reality was that even though he's proved it, there were a lot of scientists that did not accept his theory because the idea that destruction could be caused by something you couldn't see seemed unbelievable to them. See, those babies probably lost their lives earlier than they should have because somebody wouldn't recognize and register what was going on. And when we live in a dynamic that none of the spiritual stuff around us is happening, we're setting ourselves up to be equally in a place where something bad could happen to us. Because here's the reality. There is a battle, there is a war waging, and God has recruited in some essence every single one of us who's a follower of Jesus to play a part. Paul talks about this and the fact that God wants to equip you in this. In Ephesians 6.13, he says this. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist, resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will be standing your ground. Like, listen, he goes on to mention all of the armor. And I wish that I had the time to run down each and every piece. It'd probably be 45 minutes per, there's like six or eight. Who's down? Y'all can stay, right? The first service is over. 
I figured that would play a little bit better. You all are quiet today. It must be the snow. That's right. No, we're not going to do that. But I would encourage you to go back and look at this stuff a little bit because what God, Paul is saying is God has given you weapons to battle in this fight that we are in. In Paul's time, those people would have seen Roman centurions every day in their interactions, probably many of them. And they would see them wearing armor. So what he does is he compares what God has given us to what they would wear. And the first thing he says, God has given you a belt of truth. Listen, the foundation of everything that we understand, whether it's identity or what Jesus or Paul is saying, is being based on truth. The belt would hold in the Romans, the Roman soldiers' armor altogether. And Paul's saying, if your foundation is truth, you're going to stand firm. Second piece, he says, is there's this breastplate of righteousness. It would go on the front and the back of a Roman soldier to protect his vital organs. And righteousness is very simply a word that means following after the things that God has said. And what that is, is an invitation to live life in such a way where the best things can happen to us. You see, when we live righteously, we're moving away from a path that can bring us destruction. And Paul says, when you live like that, your vital spiritual organs are gonna be protected. The next thing he does is he talks about the footwear of a Roman soldier. Now, I don't think their kicks were quite as fresh as these ones. Yeah, I gotcha. But a Roman soldier would have a version of what we would think of as cleats, and they would be used to make a firm foundation, to be ready. Like, you attack me, come on and bring it, because I have a stance, I'm ready to dig in and fight. The next thing Paul talks about is a shield, a shield to protect you. It's a shield of faith. And what's God saying? Your faith in me, this is what's going to bring you to the next step. The Bible, Paul, there's, I can't actually remember who says it. New Testament author says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. God wants to give us a faith, a trust in circumstances that don't mean se make sense to press in in such a way that we are ready he says, then he's given us a helmet of salvation to protect our mind in the sword of spirit, which is his words, the words of Jesus, the words of Paul, the words of the other followers to give us right thinking about what God says about us. Because when we are set in that way, we are ready for the battle that is coming at us. And when Satan comes to lie about your identity, to bring destruction, to steal your joy, you are ready. You are ready with the armor that God has given you to fight back. Now, if you've ever been involved in any type of conflict, you know when you fight, things get damaged. Man, Satan comes at me, he hits me, the shield hits my breastplate, your armor gets dinged, it gets broken. In ancient times in Israel, they actually had men called armor bearers, and their job exclusively was to bring water and fresh armor to a fight because when your sword gets hit, it's chipped and it's broken and you need a new weapon to get back in the Bible. Well, Paul, at the end of this, I think gives us the armor bearer because when you're engaged in this battle, you're gonna get hit even if it's taken with the weaponry. But what Paul is saying, what God is saying, I wanna re-up it. I wanna give you something to re-engage in the battle. We find it in verse 18, he says this, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Paul is saying, you engage Jesus. You walk with him in a prayerful relationship. It's like being re-armored to fight. And it's not just for you, it's to pray for other people. It's to pray for others like you in your community that are engaged in this fight because there is a reality 
of what God is calling us into in this. And the first thing is prayer keeps us in connection with God. And we need to be in connection for this reason. Satan is a powerful enemy, but here's the great news. Our leader, King Jesus, is more powerful. And not only is he more powerful, but he has enabled us to be powerful in the fight. Listen to me. That's how much God trusts you. He looks at you and listen, the reality is God does not need me. God doesn't need me to communicate anything to any of you ever to accomplish what he wants to do in your life. But you know what he does for all of us is he trusts us. He trusts us and his encouragement is to get in the fight, to be a part of this for other believers. And in it, I think he wants to grow us as well. Listen to me. You are being recruited. You are being called into the most significant battle in the history of existence. And what God has said is when your identity is right in me, when you're winning the war in your mind, I want to arm you. I want to engage you to be a part of this fight and taking back territory from the enemy where it has gotten lost. And that starts with prayer. Prayer keeps us connected to the one who gives us our identity. Prayer is connected to the one who fixes our armor and prayer is what brings us victory in the battle. Prayer is what activates our armor. So for us to experience the fullness of our identity in what God is calling us into, we have to be people who pray. And if we become people who pray, world watch out, because you're gonna see people who know what their identity is, who are solid and have a truth foundation about what it is that God says, you'll be winning the war in your mind, not every time, but we'll be doing better, and we will live in such a way where he arms us to do battle in this realm for our families, for our friends, for our neighbors. And listen to me, whether you've been following Jesus for one day or 10 years, or you're here and you're just curious about who he is, you're not even sure you buy into all this stuff, know this. This is what he says, and this is what he thinks about you. This is why he wants our identity placed in him. If you are here, you can clap. Go ahead while I tear this down. If you were here in week one, Oh boy, I've got it stuck. It went much better during the first service. This is terrible. So there is, I'll do it like this. There is this cross underneath of it from where we put our thumbprints on. And what we wanted you to understand of this is the cross is where our identity changed. It's where Jesus died for us. And we took our fingerprints, the thing that identifies us, and placed it here as a reminder that if you've committed to following Jesus, this is where your identity is. And when that happens, there's these spiritual blessings we talked about in week one that God wants to give us. It's a little like this. Have any of you ever gone to a concert or a show and you've seen or gotten somebody who had an all-access pass? Right, They wear this thing around their shoulders or their neck and it gives them the ability to go wherever they want. They can go backstage, they can talk to the artists, they have special permissions. What God is saying is he has given us an all access pass. You've been granted everything you need to exist in this fight. The only thing you do need to do is grab onto it. You follow Jesus, you pursue him and he will help us walk in the blessings that he wants to give us. But the reality is for a lot of us is we have this, but we're still acting as if our ticket only gave us access to the nosebleeds. 
God doesn't want you existing in the nosebleeds. Paul was petitioning these people in these churches to walk in this greater dynamic that Jesus came to bring for all of us. And my hope today is that you will realize what your identity is in and what that gives you access to. Because God wants to unleash you in such a way on this world to do damage to our enemy. So our friends and neighbors will see this thing that we have and it will be so infectious that they'll want to know what it is. When that happens, that hope that we talked about with the Pocot people getting fresh water or somebody here that has all of the benefits of living in America will know who Jesus is, what he did for them, what their identity is so they can walk into this new kind of life. If you haven't realized that today, my hope and prayer is that wall would start to come down and you would start to see what Jesus really says and what God really thinks about every single one of us. Let's pray. Lord, the simple reality is that, my goodness, you love us in such a way that you trust us in such a way that as we follow you, you want us to be around you. Very simply to follow you, to mimic you, to be near you so that you can unleash us on this world in a great way. Whether the people in this room have been following you for decades or are just here curious about it, my hope and my prayer is today, that would be more real to them. Not because I said so, but it's because of what you lay out for us. It's what Jesus taught. It's what Paul brought to the churches around him. And it's a word that is just applicable, as applicable for us today. May we walk in this light and this power that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.